Hello, welcome back to the Sam Cooper Isn't Here podcast. I'm Matt. He's Sam. He's not here. And I am. And that's just the way it is. Yes, as Sam alluded to on the social media this week, unfortunately, he he is under the weather. And uh, therefore, is unable to record this week. But it is our 60th episode. I thought we can't do... Can't do a 60th episode without recording something. So here's me by myself. Sacrobo would say, in my element, I'm not so sure. I'm actually quite nervous. Um, and I'm going to record something for you, our dear, dear listeners. And I think I speak for everyone when I say, Sam, get well soon. Come back soon. I can't do this without you. So What's been happening this week? Well, not a lot really. Been at work. Um, busy, busy time at work as on the run up to Christmas. Um, been in contact with Sam obviously throughout the week, uh, hoping he was going to get better. Unfortunately, he didn't. Um, well, I say that as if he's dead. He's not dead. He's just, well, he's dead to me. Um, he's just not here this week. Um, hopefully, he will be back next week. Um, but other than that, um, I'm helping my cousin at the moment with, um, he's just started a podcast. It's a kind of true crime, scary story, urban legend type podcast. Um, it's called Murder Lee Wrote. Um, see if you can take the pun there. Um, that's all I'm saying. Um, and so, yeah, I've been helping him set that up. I've just actually helped him record the first episode. Um, so I will play you. We'll do kind of a, a podcast crossover this week, I think. So I will input the first section of that podcast into this podcast, um, in which I have taken a, a a case from history and written a little kind of like an essay, actually, um, on the case. And then we, we sit and discuss it. But obviously, I don't, don't want to give you too much, but I will give you the case and all the information on that. So that will be the first section today, and that will be with my cousin very shortly. Um, and then we'll try and find something for the for the second section, in which we normally have Sam's stories. Maybe I'll find a nice little story for Sam's stories. But um, in the meantime, sit back, relax. Uh, get ready for the preferred voice of the Sound Antics podcast. <laughs> Me, Matt Dyer. Hey. And uh, hopefully this won't be too much of a uh, shit episode. <laughs> Here we go. Enjoy the podcast, everyone. Soham is a small town and civil parish located in the east of the University City of Cambridge in the United Kingdom. In 2002, this quiet community would be rocked by the disappearance of two 10-year-old girls, Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. Locals would rally round the families of the girls and dedicate hours of their time searching for them in an attempt to ensure that they returned home safely. 
the police investigation into the disappearance would lead to a couple in their 20s, both of whom knew the young girls and both of whom appeared to be hiding something. Hello and welcome to the Murder Lee Wrote podcast. The podcast which details the crime and investigations of the world's most tragic and horrific murders. My name's Lee, and joining me is my cousin and co-host of the Sam and Matt Antics podcast, Matt Dyer. Hello, thank you for having me on. This week, as the um, pre-introduction there alluded to, um, the case we're going to be studying is the murder of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman in 2002. Um, now... Lee, I don't know, I mean, 2002, uh, how old were you in 2002? I think I was about four. <laughs> yeah. so, so I'm not sure if you're aware of this case or not. Um, I've heard of Holly Wells, but I don't know who Jessica Chapman is. So I've only heard of one of them, it seems. Okay, that's quite weird, considering that they were, you know... They were together. They um, were together. But, um, okay, so what I've got here is um, I've, I've written a little... Uh, well, I say little. I've, I've written a good few paragraphs on the background of what happened. Okay. Um, the actual, um, you know, situation itself. It goes into the suspects. Um, yeah. What the community, what the community did. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll read that, and okay. uh, obviously, if you want to step in at any time, then then do. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, let's, let's crack on. It was the 4th of August 2002 when 10-year-olds Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman were attending a barbecue at Holly's home in Red House Gardens in Soham. They were best friends who were both in the same class at St Andrew's Primary School, also in Soham. Holly was a majorette who played the cornet and Jessica played football. They both bonded over their shared love for the football team, Manchester United. Go on. <laughs> I thought that was going to be the case. Good taste. Carry at, around, at around 6.15pm, the girls left Holly's home to walk the short distance into the town to buy some sweets. Holly's parents had believed the girls would be playing in Holly's bedroom, but when they checked at around 8.30pm, they found that the girls weren't there. After double and triple checking the house, Holly's mother rang Jessica's parents to check if they were there. Unfortunately, they weren't. Both girls stood at four foot six inches tall. Holly was described as having a fair complexion with straight blonde shoulder length hair, while Jessica was described as tanned with shoulder length brown hair. When they left their homes that afternoon, they were both wearing Manchester United t-shirts dark trousers, and Nike trainers. A major search and, invest search and investigation were launched with more than 50 police officers working around the clock to try and find the girls. The last reported sighting of them had come from a member of the public who remembered seeing them around 6.30 in Sand Street, which was close by to Holly's home. By the following day, police would announce that they were becoming increasingly concerned for the well-being of Holly and Jessica. Since the reported sighting on Sand Street, there had been no more sightings, leading to growing fears within the community that something sinister had transpired. Their disappearance is increasingly out of character, 
we are extremely concerned, said Inspector Simon Corser, who was leading the search for the girls. Hundreds of people would assist in the search for Holly and Jessica, and the tight-knit community truly bonded together to try and ensure that the girls were found safe and sound. They would trudge through the miles of farmland that surrounded the town, searching for any... I don't even know what word that is. Semblance. Semblance. Yeah, Yeah, we'll go for that. Oh. Sounds about right. Searching for any semblance of evidence, potentially a mobile phone or an item of clothing. Sniffer dogs would be called in to search, as well as servicemen from the US Air Force Base at Milton Hall. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, Holly and Jessica's family would make tearful pleas on national television for their safe return. When the girls left Holly's room, Jessica had taken her mobile phone with her, but she had failed to pick up, and by the following morning, her phone was switched off. Police were able to determine that when it was last connected to a network, it was in the Cambridgeshire area at around 1.30am, which made them worry that it could have been dropped or even deliberately dumped. Wait, so they left like by their own choice at 1am? No, so they left the, the barbecue. <clears throat> um, oh, yeah, got it, got it. But that okay. was the, 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 um, the one thirty am is the last point in which the, the phone... Was, was connected to a network. Okay, okay. all right. Um, so yeah, they didn't go out at one thirty in the morning. That's when I was the phone. Say. <laughs> that's when the phone was last connected to a network. Okay. One angle that the police were working on was whether Holly or Jessica had been in contact with somebody over the internet, but that line of inquiry led to a dead end. Police also made sure to establish the whereabouts of known sex offenders in the area. Concerns were even raised that the girls could have fallen into a ditch somewhere and seriously injured themselves. A couple of days after the disappearance, police would release CCTV footage of Jessica and Holly, which had been captured shortly before they vanished. One picture, which was taken at 6.13pm, shows the girls in the sports centre car park. It is believed that they had purchased sweets from the vending machine at the sports centre. The CCTV footage would be released on a new segment that included an interview with Ian Huntley, the senior caretaker at the local secondary school. He revealed that after leaving the sports centre, the girls had stopped to chat with him. Huntley's girlfriend, 25-year-old Maxine Carr, was a teaching assistant at the girls' school and was close with both of them. Oh, no. He had explained that he had been washing his dog outside of his home when the girl stopped and spoke with him. Huntley said that at the time, Carr was having a bath in the home, that house. <laughs> ah, it's... it's all right. Sorry about it. <laughs> it's been a long day. I'm just looking at words and coming up with other words. It's fine. It's fine. Huntley said at the time... Carr was having a bath in the house, so the exchange between himself and the girls were very brief. I think if I had been talking to them, I would have been talking to them for an hour, said Carr. She would show the media a card that Holly had given to her after the end of the school term, which read, 
See you in the future, Miss Carr. Don't leave us. Don't go far. After the momentary conversation outside, Huntley said that Holly and Jessica continued on their way, and he continued washing his dog. He struggled to contain his emotion as he stated, They haven't run away. They didn't have a care in the world. The world would soon come to discover that just like Huntley had stated, the girls hadn't run away. Something much more sinister had taken place, and Huntley knew exactly what that was. I knew it. A name like Ian Huntley. It doesn't bode well, does it, with that surname? Oh, okay. Here, Here we go. Strap yourself in. I'm ready. In the early hours of the 17th of August, Huntley and Carr were both arrested on suspicion of murder. While it hadn't yet been publicly revealed, police had recovered several items from the grounds of the school when, where Huntley had worked, including the burnt remains of Holly and Jessica's Manchester United t-shirts. Later that same day, a man out walking with friends came across the charred remains of two bodies along a dirt track on the fringes of RAF Lakenheath, a large US Air Force base located just north of Mildenhall. The bodies would be positively, positively identified as Holly and Jessica. The grim discovery extinguished the hope that Soham had clung on to for 13 emotionally draining days, and the community were now forced to concede what they had refused to accept. Holly and Jessica were never going to come home. Huntley and Carr would deny any involvement into the disappearance and murder of Holly and Jessica. However, an investigation would uncover that when the girls were walking to buy... It's all right, it's all right, don't worry about it. (laughs) No one noticed. It's like I've got a speech impediment or something. It is. I don't know what's happened. However, an investigation would uncover that when the girls were walking to buy sweets, they walked past Huntley's home. When Huntley saw the girls, he invited them into his home, claiming a car was inside. Once inside... Huntley murdered both of the girls, and Carr would have thought... It's alright, don't worry about it. Don't bring attention, it's fine, you're good. Don't, do not edit this out, (laughs) stay it in. Well, so everyone can hear how bad I am at reading. Everyone needs to know what you're really like, Matt. Anyway, carry on. Excellent. Hello, welcome back! (laughs) (laughs) Carr would provide him with a phony alibi claiming that she was home with him that afternoon, when in fact, she was in Grimsby. Huntley would be ordered to stand trial on murder charges. During the trial, Huntley claimed that the girls went into his home because Holly had a nosebleed. He insisted that Holly had drowned when he accidentally knocked her into the bath. And then then he claimed he subsequently... And then he claimed he subsequently... I can't even say the fucking word! This is a really important part. I'm so sorry. This makes it sound like I'm being really, like... I think that everyone knows that you've developed an impediment. I'm just really tired, everyone, okay? It's nine o'clock. Okay. (laughs) Where did I get to? Right, okay. 
He claimed he has subsequently smothered Jessica to stop her from screaming. Dr. Nathaniel Carey, a home office pathologist, however, completely rejected Huntley's version of events, referring to it as wholly implausible. He said that it would be unlikely at the least that Holly could have drowned in Huntley's bathtub as a result of a fall. Huntley would admit to dumping Holly and Jessica's bodies in the area where they were found, cutting off their clothing and then setting fire to their bodies in a bid to conceal his tracks. Due to the bodies being set alight, it could not be determined how exactly Holly and Jessica had lost their lives, nor could it be determined if they had been sexually assaulted or not. Prosecutors would claim during the trial that Huntley had been sexually motivated and pointed to the fact that he laundered his bedclothes after the murder... It's alright, don't worry about it. We're used to it now. Pointed to the fact that he laundered his bedclothes after the murders as evidence of such. Moreover, he had his previous charges relating to indecent assaults on underage girls. Ian Huntley would be found guilty of the two murders and would be sentenced to 40 years in prison and will not be eligible for parole in at least 2042. In prison, he has made... Uh... <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Oh my god. In prison, he has been targeted numerous times by other inmates and has been made as... No, I'm oh. just putting words in now. Fuck me. Targeted numerous times by other inmates and has made several suicide attempts. Maxine Carr would be found guilty of conspiracy with Huntley to pervert the course of justice and was sentenced to three and a half years in prison. She was released with a new identity in 2004. And there we go. So I wrote that with, uh, with information from the website crimeandinvestigation.co.uk. So, brilliant. I have a question. I have a big question. Is it about my terrible reading skills? I mean, no, it's not. Okay. Okay. It said that, uh, was it Huntley said something about he accidentally pushed her in the bath or something? So, and then smothered her to stop her screaming. Was that his defense? So, no. So, what he said is that he, uh, that Holly had got a nosebleed yeah and that um she had drowned because he had accidentally knocked her into the bath but why was she in the bath oh i hmm. why was hmm. the bath ran well i i mean i i wasn't there so i can't tell you i'm sorry um, i don't mean to get angry at you about it but... <laughs> <laughs> get and then yes yeah, so so then he then smothered jessica to stop her from screaming the fact that Holly was drowning in a bathtub that was just, yeah. Mm. You have to know that some uh, some people that do murders are actually not very bright. Yeah, that's the thing. I always think of murderers as like super smart. I don't know why. Um, yeah, that's not the case. <laughs> no, clearly, clearly not. But um, but no, this is this um, this case was one that you know, back in, back at the time was just all over the news. Mm. I mean, all over the news and everyone was so upset when 
obviously that the, the bodies were discovered. Um, and it's quite a gruesome, it's not gruesome in the, in the sense of what some crimes that I'm sure we will go into in this podcast in the future. Um, but it's just the fact that, you know, it's, it's that age old thing for parents that they let their kids go out and, you know, pop to the shops to get some sweets or, you know, something like that. And they just never come home. It's just horrible, isn't it? It's awful. I've just looked up what he looks like and um, I don't mean to be judgmental, but fucking, he looks like a murderer. Yeah. So I actually read a bit more into this. Um, I'm going to be... what. So (laughs) as part of every podcast we do and whatever crime we do, I'm then, after the podcast, going to watch a documentary on the crimes that we study. So I'm going to be watching a documentary on this one tomorrow. Yep. Um, but I've actually pre-read, well, no, not pre-read, but I read some other things that I didn't put in um, what I read just a minute ago. Okay. And um, so it transpires that Ian Huntley is, is well, as we know, he's not a nice man. Um, he uh domestically abused um previous girlfriends um and that's thus the reason he they pretty much asked the um the woman in this i've forgotten her name what was her name jesus christ maxine, uh, car. maxine car that's the one um asked her to to lie for him um so yeah he's it's just just terrific it's just honestly yeah it's awful it's, uh, it, is, it is it is terrible and actually at the time the media were well you know what the media are like um <laughs> but the media at the time were actually blaming the police for not sort of like going quicker with the case yeah uh, because there was there was quite a time um you know, between the uh, the disappearance and actually finding them. Um, but interestingly, I don't think they, there, there could have been a point where they actually never found the girls or Ian Huntley would have never been, there would have been no evidence that Ian Huntley did it. And I'll tell you why, is because the, the police actually set up a base of operation at the school where Ian Huntley worked. So oh, wow. The reason they found this stuff in the shed, the, 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 the burnt clothes in the shed, um, you know, if the police weren't there, he could have got rid of it. You know, he could have, he could have burnt them to the point where they, you couldn't get any forensic or, you know, any kind of evidence from it. But because the police had a base on the on the campus mm. he then couldn't obviously set burn them anymore because that would have got suspicion on him if there's a big plume of smoke coming from the school you know i find that so scary just the thought that if if that didn't happen if the police didn't have their base there he might still be around exactly i mean they could they could have been there could be other evidence that they could have had that could have pointed to him. Um, but yeah, I just, I find, 
I'm sure we'll go into this in, in other podcasts, but I just find criminology and investigational work from the police side, I just find it so fascinating that they can have such little evidence but still go out and find the people that did it, or they can go out and collect other evidence and, you know, put it all together. Yeah, I think I think it's great because there's a lot of cases that we will cover soon where the police kind of haven't done enough or they've made really serious mistakes and such. So it's, it's, it is really nice to see a case where the, the police have actually done their jobs very, very well. Hmm. Um, yeah, I like that. Well, not not the murders, but no, obviously that's the uh... case in itself is very interesting. Yeah, it's um, it's one of the more uh, well known ones, um, and obviously we'll do different cases as the weeks go on. Um, they won't all be UK based ones. I'm just starting with UK based ones to start with because obviously we're from the UK, so yep. you know we possibly would have known of the, the areas or you know the actual cases themselves so um yeah so yeah got them to look forward to yeah and, and uh so yeah is there anything else on the um on this case that you uh just know? a little addition maxine mm. carr shortly after her release from prison um contacted a tyneside based publishing company to publish her autobiography straight afterwards so Did you actually i didn't yeah. know this so it's good that she felt bad about what happened and everything did, did she actually do the book in the end or did they refuse yeah, it? yeah they did it oh, oh wait my. no 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 they didn't no they didn't oh they someone was going to do it but they withdrew their offer after bbc radio complained about them basically so good job bbc oh. good on you <laughs> fair enough there you go um and actually if anyone's listening at the time of this being released on the channel five on demand service my five i think it's called there is a three-part drama about maxine carr um and her life before the obviously the 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 murder Mm -hmm. and uh i i believe it goes then through to to prison and her being released so i'm probably going to watch that during the week as well but um if anyone gets a chance it's probably probably a good uh good watch that yeah but, i um, love how we've started off the podcast with possibly the most upsetting case <laughs> we could have found oh believe me next next week's case will be even more upsetting don't you worry um, guys get your tissues ready i'll give you a little i'll give you a little teaser um it in well, I mean, to be fair, this one involves children, but oh, okay. the next the next one involves three children. Oh my god! Yes, that's Are all I'll get say. Four the week after that. <laughs> this how this works. I, I haven't planned that far ahead. Sorry, mate. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Anyway, so yes, that's the um, that's this week's case. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with us about the case like if they have any other information that is could be interesting or anything uh, i have set up a instagram page where you can send us a message just you know if you'd like to and um we might look at it i'm just having a look on my phone because i've forgotten what it is already <laughs> oh yes it's simply just murder lee wrote podcast so um 
give us a follow, send us a message, and uh, maybe what we can do is uh, read some of them out on the podcast each week. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Mm. Anyway, let's crack on with the rest of this week's episode. Okay. And that is all we have time for this week. And unfortunately, because Sam isn't here, I'm not going to do a dramatic reading because there's no one here to react to it. So this is just simply going to be a a farewell outro. Um, but if you can't wait until next week when Sam's back to get your Sam Antics fix, you can go to our Instagram page, which is at Sam Antics. You can go to our TikTok page, which is at Sam Antics. You can go to our Facebook page, which is Sam Antics Podcast. You can go to our Twitter page, which is Sama underscore podcast. You can go to our Twitch page, which is Sama underscore podcast. Or you can send us an email to samaanticspodcast at gmail.com. And of course, it wouldn't be the end of the episode without Sam mentioning a certain something, but he's not here, so I'll have to do it. You can also find us on the Acast Creator Network because we are Acast content creators. So just go on there and search the Salma Antics podcast. And hopefully I've done this episode justice. And thank you very much for listening. And I guess we'll chat to you next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.